man that would risk his neck for his brother man. Can you dig it? You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That, of course, is the theme from Shaft, a 1970s black exploitation film. Also, one of the first albums I ever learned to listen to on the record player. When I was a little kid, uh, I used to get it out of my parents' collection and and put it on. Uh, it's not uncommon or irrational these days to compare our current political and social climate with those of the late 1960s and early 70s when I was listening to Shaft and didn't quite understand what the context was for that music. I wasn't allowed to watch the film till I was much over. But that comparison can also be made in Hollywood as well over the past year. There have been multiple announcements that some of the most well-known films from the black exploitation era will be remade. Remakes of Shaft, Superfly, and Foxy Brown will all be released in the coming years. The recent movie Proud Mary, starring Taraji P. Henson, also seems to draw heavily from elements of those movies. Black exploitation films were low-budget productions released in the early 70s that featured African-American protagonists sticking it to the man, fighting against white races' villains. Despite being made with small budgets, these movies all made film studios trying to to relate to audiences in the middle of the black power movement a lot of money. Black exploitation films, which also featured soundtracks by legends such as Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, and Marvin Gaye, they came to typify black coolness in that area. But black exploitation movies continue to inspire filmmakers today. What can we learn from some of the films being remade and turned into series on television What does the current fascination with revisiting films tell us about where we are culturally and politically? Let's listen to a clip from the 1974 film Foxy Brown. What is it you really want? Justice. For whom? Your brother? Why not? It could be your brother, too. Or your sister. Or your children. I want justice for all of them. And I want justice for all the other people whose lives are bought and sold so that a few big shots can climb up on their backs and laugh at the law and laugh at human decency. And most of all, I want justice for a good man. This man had love in his heart. And he died because he went out of his neighborhood to try to do what he thought was right. Sister, I think what you're asking for is revenge. That was Pam Greer playing Foxy Brown in the movie Foxy Brown. Of course, she went on to also play Jackie Brown in Quentin Tarantino's movie Jackie Brown, kind of a spin-off, I guess, of the whole black exploitation genre. Joining us now to talk about this genre, its resurgence and the sort of cultural implications of all of that is Tama Hamilton Ray. She is a professor at Michigan State University in the Residential College in the Arts and Humanities and an independent filmmaker. Tama, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Let's start by the, by just talking a little about this genre of black exploitation. Uh, as I said in the open, I was a kid uh, when all this was going on, and I can remember the music uh, being something that I really related to. But, of course, as I got older, as a teenager, as a young man, I came to think a little more deeply about what these movies 
were doing, what they were about, and the kind of double-edged sword, I think, that they represented for black culture, that they were at once this sort of uh, uh, bold expression of the coolness of black culture, but, but that they also drew some negative attention to black culture that, that we're still trying to sort of sort out and figure out today. Yes, um, that's true. I, I too, was, was young um, when this black exploitation uh, era, kind of the peak of it in the early 70s, and um, wasn't able to see many of the films as a kid, but um, came to see them a bit later in my life. Um, one of those like, iconic films is Superfly, uh-huh. um, that I really only saw probably about eight years ago. Um, <laughs> For the I first had an time. <laughs> I, yeah, I had an opportunity to see um, a 16, um, the 35 millimeter print. Um, we were in, in um, at a festival, film festival, and they showed the 35 millimeter print. And um, I like that you talk about the double-edged sword. I had read about the film. I understood, you know, what it represented, and and um, and I was in awe watching the film. It was a beautiful film. It was gritty. The music was awesome. Um, however, um, the politics of the film were very complicated, and um, you know, the character was very misogynistic, and um, there, you know, you're enamored by the clothes, the the cars, the whole kind of lifestyle of priest. And then um, on the other hand, there are all these, you know, really, really problematic elements of the film. So um, I clearly understood seeing that film in its in its original form in 35 millimeter um, in the theater, <laughs> um, you know, what attracted audiences to the films. And then also, you know, um, the criticisms that came out, particularly um, and AACP and others who, um, you know, protested some of the black exploitation films and many critics who wrote about these films and continue to write about them. And and what was the the, the impetus for this whole movement? Was it really just about uh, white studios and white directors and producers wanting to sort of exploit, just thus the name black exploitation, uh, exploit black culture? for box office, or was there, in some cases, a, a, a more noble aim to really try to attach uh, coolness and hipness to the idea of, of black culture? Well, um, understanding that Hollywood is a business, uh, Hollywood was really aiming to make money. Um, the The first film that people have labeled black exploitation um, would be Melvin Van Peebles' sweet, sweet, sweet badass song. Sweet badass, um, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, in um, 1971, and, and this film was made on a shoestring budget. In fact, um, when he made the film, um, he made he did it under the auspices of making a soft porn film, and so they didn't know he was making this radical film, this this superhero character. Um, who um, basically, um, he kills a cop in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. This cop is, is abusing people, um, and he strikes out in, in, in an effort to basically, um, for the community, he, he makes this move. He's a, a character who's not about community. He's not a, a black nationalist leader in any, any way, shape, or form. However, when he makes his act of killing this cop who's been harassing the community, the community protects him and helps him to get away. 
Um, this film was wildly popular. Um, it, you know, it, it showed, uh, he took it around the country um, and it finally caught footing. Uh, Hollywood took notice. They, they understood now that there was this neglected audience mm -hmm. in, in urban areas in particular and young blacks. Um, and so the next few films that started to emerge um, were, came out of Hollywood. Uh, the verse, first few were actually made by black filmmakers like uh, Superfly and Shaft. However, um, like other movements in the past um, with black filmmaking, Hollywood um, kind of usurped it. Um, the white producers, white uh, writers, white directors began to make the films. And there's when you get kind of this turn into what becomes black exploitation. It's a very formulaic, um, very cheaply made, and it the um, this cycle was run until the money went dry and then it was dropped. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the directors and actors, uh, the actors in particular, the black actors who were uh, involved in these films, um, did they realize uh, that double-edged sword that I was talking about? That they were they were both. Uh, uh, celebrating in some ways uh, the, the 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 sort of uh, exposure of black culture, but also being being manipulated or used. And I guess I asked that also in the context of uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, films in uh, the 1980s, Hollywood Shuffle, uh, which made fun of uh, the black exploitation genre in in some ways, and and made fun of the idea that black actors were part of it. Sure, sure. Uh, black actors have always uh, been in a, in a situation of, um, I guess, being a comp in a compromised uh, position in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and, and black exploitation era was no um, exception. People need to work. People need to eat. People, um, this is their, their craft. This is how they make their living. What's available to them as actors uh, was, was and it's, it's still very limited. It's uh, opening up somewhat, I would say, today because of other means of, of producing a good film and, and, um, and, and television. Um, so some of those um, opportunities have expanded more recently. But um, this was work, this was bread and butter. So, um, and these actors, I think, brought something to those roles. So even though it may have been a role that was very stereotypic, maybe the, the buck, as, as um, Bogle would call it, um, the, the kind of um, hypersexualized black male, character, this cool that you talk about, what they brought to the role, um, really came out of, out of black culture, mm -hmm. really came out of particularly urban black culture. And that was the thing that was unexpected. Um, what, the, what these characters kind of um, oozed, <laughs> oozed out <laughs> on the film, this raw sexuality, mm -hmm. black men had not been represented in, in, in that way in film. Um, if they were sexual at all, it was a threatening sexuality. That's right. Here, this, this sexuality was was um, something that was sometimes a tool for for their kind of um, and a part of their their um, toolbox, I would say, say of of, um, of um, characteristics that helped them to be this um, hero in the film. So that they of course, they were um, good at maybe martial arts, and, right, and right. they were very cunning. But then they were also sexual, and they were shown in these um, relationships on film that were erotic, 
that were um, loving, mm-hmm. um, sometimes of monogamous, monogamous relationships, sometimes not. But they were clearly the sex symbols of the film, and they were allowed to be that in a way that was positive. So um, those are, I, I would say, if we think about what the actors brought to that and kind of the positive aspects, um, again, very complicated, um, that would be one of those things that I would say um, was a positive and and what the the people playing these roles um, brought to their roles. Yeah, yeah. All right. When we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about black exploitation films. In the second segment, we're going to pivot, talk about modern films that are influenced by the genre. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019. What do you think of black exploitation films? Uh, do these films illustrate for you the ability to comment on society? We'll be right back on Detroit Today. so much for what we do it's, it's having a choice being able to decide what it is i want i'm just to be forced into a thing because that's the way it is gonna buy me some time baby some time that isn't all up with things we gotta do just to be free oh, will that make you happy i don't know <laughs> i don't know i just know can't be happy the way it is now never was. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. That was a clip from the movie Superfly 1972 and also the music uh, that played before the clip uh, by Curtis Mayfield, one of the more uh, recognizable tracks from the black exploitation era. We are talking about black exploitation films, those of the late 60s and 70s, uh, also uh, the reboots of those films that we're about to see on the big and little screen today. What do you think of those films? Uh, if you're white, how did you feel about uh, this special segment of movie making then and now? If you're African-American, how do you think of these films? Do you think they were a celebration of black culture or were they exploitation? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phone, so it's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Our guest is Tama Hamilton-Ray. She's a professor at Michigan State University in the Residential College in the Arts and Humanities and an independent filmmaker. Uh, Tama, I want to start now talking about the modern era of film both the throwbacks to the black exploitation films but also other films that that sort of borrow from the genre uh they're they're modern stories they're new stories but they look and feel a lot like uh like those old films 
Yes, I think um, a movie that was just released a week ago, Proud Mary, mm -hmm. would, would mm -hmm. fit into this uh, category. Yes. Um, I um, had an opportunity to see Proud Mary. Um, the movie posters intrigued me. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie poster, it's um, Taraji Henson, uh, black and white um, um, illustration, and her afro, in her huge afro, there are all these images of right. sort of a, a woman posed in, in, in Taraji posing in, in, with a gun in high heels, very much like the old Foxy Brown um, images we saw. Or um, so there's all this kind of um, in, within this Afro mini images that that evoke um, the black exploitation posters and uh, black exploitation era, um, and even the opening credits of the film have that kind of um, the, those um, um, colors of uh, you know yellows and reds mm -hmm. and primary colors in the way that <laughs> um, they open the film. So it, it very much is an old uh, nod to black exploitation film. Um, and um, I, as you ha you've mentioned, there are a number of uh, re reboots that are coming out this year, yeah. and I think we've seen a few in the in the recent past that uh, borrowed again Quentin Tarantino's Django. Yes. Um, some um, said was a black exploitation film um, in the way that it was structured. Um, some of the um, elements of the 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 hero and and kind of it doing sticking it to the man, as you say. Yes. Um, yeah. But I, I was a little bit disappointed in um, in Proud Mary, knowing, kind of going and expecting um, this uh, reboot and the things that um, audiences and myself included enjoyed in black exploitation film. Uh -huh. um, there was really no moral or I'd say political um, center in this film, um, and so I wasn't quite sure um, about as I thought about the present moment and the the um, ways that um, the, this recent uh, Todd Boyd article in The Guardian, The Return of Black Exploitation, Why the Time is Right to Bring Back Shaft and Foxy Brown, he makes parallels between the 1970s and today, um, so the political climate um, the and also the grassroots um, you know, efforts um, to um, resist uh, white supremacy and, and all, all that kind of is, is um, facing um, more progressive movements today. Mm -hmm. um, he, he compares it to, the, you know, the, um, the, the anti-war movement in the 70s and, and all the other kind of black uh, power movement that was going on. Um, and kind of these films addressing some of the needs of, of um, audiences, audiences needing to see um, heroes needing to kind of see themselves um, acting out against um, these oppressive powers, and that became kind of signified by these villainous white characters. Last night's um, in the film, and I saw it last night, so I'm saying last night's <laughs> film, um, Proud Mary, because I said I have to see this film before the, the interview today, um, was a bit of a, a mixed bag. Um, Taraji, as a, she's a great actress, so Part of why the film worked somewhat was because of the acting, but the script really um, was um, lacking in, in kind of um, I don't know. I don't want to like dump on the film, but I I'm, I was I was a bit I went thinking I was going to see something, and I saw it was really not quite um, what you know what black exploitation or what the kind of um, 
positive things it could offer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that um, I'm, I'm wondering uh, what's going to happen with some of these re- reboots, how they're going to um, um, kind of fashion them for this present period. Right. Um, Todd Boyd also mentions that um, the superhero films, and he particularly um, spoke to Black Panther that's coming sure. out in February as being another kind of um, black exploitation film or maybe a, a, um, a refashioning or a reimagining of this black exploitation film. And the fact that it's sci-fi, right, that, it, that it's not on this earth, not, you know, not of, of our present time, that we can imagine some kind of other future, um, some other, uh, another kind of, of existence um, is saying something about our particular moment. And mm-hmm. so that was intriguing for, for me to think about how, um, you know, superhero films might be filling a particular kind of uh, void or, or need um, for audiences today. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Dan in Southfield. Dan, welcome to Detroit. Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, great conversation. Um, I am a film producer. I produced a film called Chameleon Street, which won Sundance in the 1990s. Oh, my God. I, I'm, so, I'm so honored to meet you. I've read, <laughs> That's cool. I've seen that film and read about it. And, um, oh, yeah. you, you so, know of the film. Very good. Oh, yes, yes I do. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, and um, and, and it, the film, you know, relied on a lot of literary references and, you know, the director and star of the film was the first black graduate of Juilliard, uh, Wendell Harris. Um, mm-hmm. But my point is that the film was not received with the kind of, I mean, we did very well. You know, the New York Times loved it. You know what I mean? And yes. the Hollywood Reporter loved it. Mm-hmm. But it didn't get the kind of uh, mass appeal that one would think. And and I guess my, my problem is that a lot of these films that these so-called black exploitation films or in general entertainment on television that features black performers and, and scripts is very exploitive and it, and, and it encourages these negative stereotypes, which are just not true. Stephen, you grew up in Detroit, so yeah. did I. Yeah. You know how people really are. This is nonsense that these, these, these caricatures of people are promoted. You know, yeah. I, I find it insulting. And yeah. Dan, I, I really appreciate uh, your call and, uh, and you being part of this uh, conversation. We've got about a minute left, Ham. I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to respond to what Dan's saying there. I would say that um, perhaps Chameleon Street was before its time. That, mm-hmm. I'd like to say that. Um, and I think that the audience, audience for Chameleon Street might be around today that wasn't there when the film was released. Um, um, so I, I, I have to say that, um, that it was, it's, a, it's a really great film if you haven't seen it to seek it out. Yeah. Um, secondly, I think there, is some, there, there are some positive things happening. Again, I mentioned television and, and streaming. Um, Queen Sugar being uh, a, a television show by um, um, Ava DuVernay. Um, Spike Lee just rebooted uh, She's Gotta Have It yes. with some um, <laughs> attention to the, the um, sexual dynamics in that film and, and some of the things that were problematic in the film he's, he's attempted to address in the, in the, um, in the net streaming um, and the Netflix yeah. um, um, reboot of that. So um, I'm actually, of course, that's not black exploitation. But I think what I want to say is there there is some really 
um, good quality um, programming films that are that are around. That are so coming seek out. Seek them out. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tama Hamilton Ray, professor at Michigan State University. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. That's going to do it for me this week. I'll be back on Monday. I hope you will, too. This is WDET, Wayne, uh, uh, Public Service of Wayne State University. We'll see you on Monday.